1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast.
2: <laughs> Seven o'clock. It's Sports Radio 610. Good morning, everybody. Oh, my goodness. B Scott bringing it today. Sean Bajani with you in for Payne and Pendergast. Glad. To be with you, if you'd like to be a part of the show, 713-572-4610. You can hit us up uh, via the trailer, Wheel and Frame text line. And my main man, who I feel like I've not heard from personally in like, I don't know, three years... Ocho texto. Does he even go by Ocho texto anymore? He just signed to Ocho. Yeah, it's just Ocho now. But, but he texts literally
3: every day. So he, yeah, you, still. You, you, so he's de- still around, dude. We've done shows that Ocho's texting into the show. I can't remember, man. Yeah, I, 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 I guess we're remember. in here infrequent enough to where you don't remember. But okay, well, o- me- Ocho is one of our most loyal texters. Oh, I knew that he's been around for you know at least
2: yeah. twenty years, uh, maybe more. But sometimes my, t- you know. Text uh, login doesn't work, but I feel like the last year or so, it's it's done pretty well. When we
3: come in here, if I can't rely on anybody else to interact with the show or text with the show, I can rely on Ocho to be engaged. <laughs> Ocho's there, yeah. Ocho and Irwin. So, shout out to y'all. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was just
2: thinking, uh, you know, back when I used to host regularly, like all the uh, old callers, like Rocket Fan Feedback. Maya, she'd be the first caller. Mm. Or Gerard, or... Gary and Katie, you know, uh, (laughs) just like the the sports radio uh, Houston Hall of Fame of callers and texters, man. I I still remember you guys. I miss y'all. I hope they up this morning. Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. So uh, I tell you who's getting up, man, is uh, a lot of Texan fans. I am uh, in particular because this coaching, um, you know, the coaching hires are pretty much at an end. I feel like. According to my count, and I'm working on something for the website once they get this thing done, I think they're only missing a receiver coach, tight end coach. I don't think we've heard final word yet on Danny Barrett. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, if we he's going to be back as running back coach. I have not heard. Um, and I guess technically, because the naming of these positions are kind of you know uh, wacky with the Texans that yep. they're giving out nowadays. But uh, Corey Undlin, who they just hired, at, I'm assuming – In the same position that he was with the San Francisco 49ers, which was the secondary coach and pass game specialist, they already have Steven Adagoki as their safeties coach. So I'm assuming that Unlin's going to take over the corners and retain those other two positions, so to speak.
3: Yeah. Um, There is a subtle difference, I think. And I, I think I'm right on this, but it goes from specialist with the 49ers passing game, defensive passing game specialist with the 49ers Uh to defensive passing game coordinator (laughs) with the Texans. Now, what's the distinction? What's the difference? I don't know. I don't know. But it's two different words, and you got to figure that to post somebody from, and it may very well be that his contract was up. But you got to figure to get somebody to go from over there to over here did that you're you see, giving them a little bit more of a – not necessarily just a parallel move. Did you see the uh,
2: – they made a hire this weekend, by the way, uh, the Texans did, to their staff. Jake Olson, yes. uh, formerly of Kent State, he was their athletic director of football operations.
3: Yeah. Shane, they hired Shane Day as well. I don't know if that was already – Oh, Shane Day, did yeah, they? Yeah, from also from the 49ers. He's going to be like a senior offensive assistant. So they're going to uh, have a bunch okay, of kids Okay, hold on.
2: Hold on. I did not know that. So his title is Senior Offensive Assistant. The I, I pulled up various stories, right? I think I, maybe three or four stories to find out what the position that Jake Olson was hired at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the ones, it was the assistant to the uh, senior assistant on offense, I think. So he's an assistant to the assistant. And this, these are just like, come on, man. Like, stop yeah. it right now. Yeah. Stop it. Like, I I want to be an assistant to the assistant. Yeah, to the
1: assistant.
3: It's it's going to be an interesting press conference and time whenever they do finally exp- fully announce and explain what do these dudes do? Because I'm be honest <laughs> with you, Sean, as we get into this, once they hired the defensive coordinator Matt uh, uh-huh. the offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. And then, well, in retaining the moment, Frank Ross. Well, obviously retaining Frank Ross. I thought that was the the easiest decision to make, so that was a no brainer. But then the Corey Unlin hire as the defensive pass game coordinator slash <laughs> secondary defensive backs coach, whatever exactly it is. Yeah. Like I was really interested in that hire because I think that the development of Derek Stingley Jr and Jalen Petrie are going to be really important for this team. Those are guys that we see have a ton of potential. And Derek Stingley specifically, and even Jalen Petrie to a degree, but Derek Stingley more specifically, these guys were miscast last year and you could argue were not necessarily put in the best position and still played relatively well, fairly Mm -hmm. well for rookies. And so you'd like to think, okay, they've got a new staff coming in here and they have to be mindful of how are they going to best use these guys Even D'Amico Ryans himself in his introductory press conference spoke on that as like, hey, we're going to be putting these guys in a position to succeed. You know, I think these guys are special and all of that. But so so the Corey Unlin hire mattered to me because it matters to me how specifically they're going to work on developing these two young players that I think are really good. But after that, I did not really allow – like I was going to wait to hear from you, Sean, honestly Mm – and not get too caught up in the minutia of all of the staff hires because it can get a little bit monotonous and confusing, especially when the titles don't match what they used to be before. Yeah, so, exactly. So I, I'm just I'm just trying to, to pinpoint exactly what the what the entire coaching <laughs> roster is exactly, uh, but more specifically, these coordinators. Are you talking about you know how the titles don't match you know what
2: these guys are going to be doing? Um, Bobby Slowick uh, was part of a feature article in the uh, Houston Chronicle here recently. And um, really good read. Uh, I'm glad you found this. Uh, Had a chance to uh, take a look at that this morning. The guy has an incredible background. (laughs) I'm going to let you set this up for the people. But just keep in mind, like, in football and just really in sport, B. Scott, it it is important to note that, like, what is required of people, what you used to do, like, brings extreme value to coaching life experiences we hear that all the time but i'm not so sure about this one yeah (laughs) this was so interesting to me
3: yeah and so i'm the guy that's that is cautious of assuming that the ultra smart like outside of football, smart guy is going to just automatically translate into being football smart. Mm-hmm. And because this guy is brilliant in the classroom, and I'm talking about like the academic classroom, not just the, the, you know, the position group meeting room or like, you know what I mean? As a coach or as a football mind, but just overall smart guy thinking automatically that that's going to translate into football brilliance. But this guy seems to have the resume of someone who is just flat out an intelligent, highly intelligent guy. Yeah. So much to the point that I suggested even that he might be overqualified, not just for offensive coordinator, but for like just the coaching profession (laughs) in general. Yeah.
2: Like, why are you coaching football?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Like, why exactly? Now, so this is twofold here. He's a guy that studied biomedical engineering. So he's got a biomedical engineering degree. Okay. But it's also the son of a coach who's been around coaching Literally his entire life, mm-hmm. so he's got really the best of both worlds in terms of intel, like of just being the again the classroom guy, the biomedical engineer potentially if yep. that was the route he wanted to go, but also the coach's son who just couldn't get away from the game. And the way that this this feature kind of plays out with Jonathan Alexander in the Houston Chronicle is that you know Bobby Slowick, son of a coach, a son of an NFL coach, and Bob Slowick who who coached. Uh, with the Packers and with the Broncos and different places, yeah. he, he grew up okay. Already designing plays as an elementary kid, For like there there are stories uh, of him leaving notes on his dad's nightstand or <laughs> no, wherever Dad exactly. Dad, try this with, play with with. Play designs as an elementary kid. Now that doesn't mean that the play designs were good or elaborate or anything that they should be using with the Texans or anything yeah. like that. No, but you saw the wheel spinning. Yeah, and that's what—that's the point that I'm getting at. Yeah, you see the wheel spinning very early on for this guy. Now he grows up a little bit and wasn't necessarily thinking about coaching until who's the person that kind of gave him the kick in the tail to go do it? It's Mike Shanahan himself. So when we talk about pulling from the Shanahan tree, mm-hmm. okay. We're not just talking about guys or specifically here with Bobby Sloick, we're not just talking about a guy who coached with Mike Shanahan or has been around the Shanahans or has has sniffed the air no, of the but, Shanahan's and mixed. he has been
2: endorsed by the Shanahans. Like, you know, one of yes. the great offensive innovators in the game. When they think, hey, you know what, kid, you got a career in this. Yeah. You're pretty darn good at it. Um, and then you go work for the son you know Kyle Shanahan yep. in flourish yeah it's a it's a really good deal yeah very cool background awesome story and when I saw it I initially thought of a guy that I'm working with right now yeah. um, in coaching we do I do coaching on the side still you know some little kids and the guy that's heading this program up <laughs> I don't know why he's doing this but he like three no five years ago he stopped his job making a bleep ton of money. As a mechanical engineer uh, working for some oil and gas company. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) what are you doing? Like, you know, working with kids is fun, but it can be absolutely nerve wracking sometimes, you know, trying to get these kiddos to just even sit down and pay attention and listen to direction and stuff. But as a mechanical engineer, I'm thinking like, dude. I don't know if I would have made that move. As much as I enjoy coaching, as much as I enjoy sports radio, and this has been my life for half of it, yeah, uh, maybe even more than half of it, really. Yeah, it's, but if, uh, but if
3: you've got a passion for coaching and, it, yeah, and it's something that you're really into, I guess. I, like I feel like coaching, and and he's on the fast track here. I mean, Bobby Sloak's thirty five years old. If the, if things go well for him here, ah, that's the incredible. He, thing, he could yeah. he could very well be a head coach before he's forty. So I mean, he's on the fast track here, and he's got the right connections to start with. Like this could be. This could be a a glamorous life for him at some point that you know and it like also the the fame and notoriety attached to coaching is something that he would never really experience as a biochemical engineer yeah. or anything like that. You know, it's a
2: good point you bring up about um, you know Sloak's age. He's thirty five years old. D'Amico's thirty eight. Um, their defensive coordinator, Mattenberg, I mean, he's 46 and has got a wealth of NFL experience. I think we'll be entering his 20th season uh, in the league and one of their more recent hires. um, uh, Who was it the other day the uh, Texans brought in? I mean, I think it's Undlin, right? Is it Undlin? He's got, what, 34 years of coaching experience, college in the NFL, I think the last six, seven, eight years, something like that in the NFL. But relative to, like, their age... This has got to be one of the younger NFL coaching staffs in the entire league, right? I mean, they just brought in Gerard Johnson as their quarterback coach. He's thirty-four years old. Yeah. That was, and that was one I didn't mention that I should have. Frank Gerard Ross Johnson, I'm high on that I don't one. even think Frank Ross is forty yet. No, he's not. You know, I he's think not. he's like, he's like 36, 37 yeah. years old, something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean they're just incredibly young. But I'm paying attention, you know, to a lot of these other hires across the league. The league is in itself, B Scott, getting younger. Yeah. I think it's really interesting and I just I wonder why why kind of now, you know, is there this this influx of youth in coaching oh, uh, and the amount of trust that you're putting in, like how the game had we talk about innovation and all that stuff. Like why now? Like I it just seemed like the, it is football at the end of the day. How much could it have possibly changed? How much could you possibly, you know, make this better offensively, defensively, with all these schemes? Yeah. Well, I you don't know. know.
3: I don't know if, if if it's that the game has changed as much as how we view the game has changed, and how we understand the game, and the information we consume, the information that we communicate. So I think honestly, and, and this Just is the no, analytical side of that's things. That's exactly what approach, I'm getting at. Yeah. So uh, honestly, as and this is with all sports, as the as the game becomes more analytically driven, the folks of the analytic generation begin to thrive. And I don't think it's any coincidence that a smart guy like like a Bobby Slowick, a biochemical engineer, <laughs> a, a yeah. pro football focus alum, somebody like that would find themselves in a position like this. So so I think that's the difference. And what we're seeing uh, in a lot of cases is that they're prioritizing youth because it's not just youth and it's not just innovation, but it is sort of the progressive way that the game is viewed. So I don't think it's a coincidence that they, hired a, uh, that they hired a younger coach in D'Amico Ryans. You know, that's one of the things I wanted to ask him about and that we just didn't get around to. But I was curious, what did he think about how close, not just the, the fact that he's a former player and played excellently in the league, but his proximity to his playing days. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's not just a former player, but he played not that long ago and just still has a beat on the league that he played in and how the league changed over those years and how it's changed just since he's been gone. Like, D'Amico Ryan is somebody that was drafted in 2006, has gotten a chance to get a firsthand look and be a part of the evolution of football, not just – Again, it's not that the game has changed, but the way it is viewed and the way that the information is consumed, he's somebody that's had a front row seat to that. Sure, yeah,
2: he's seen all of it and made a seamless transition from a player to a coach, um, you know, working his way up through the 49ers organization, which I guess under Shanahan, it seems like, because there have been so many hires, I mean, look at uh, Robert Sala and Mike McDaniel and even everybody who the Texans have brought over, including Ryan's, but Bobby Slowick and Corey Undlin, a lot of these young brighter more innovative
3: Michael is creative uh, minds uh, or Matt LaFleur I guess, I guess uh, Zach Taylor all these guys
2: yeah i mean would you say the San Francisco 49ers is probably the poster team you know for the ones that have kind of taken analytics under their belt and have used it more so than any other team you know over the last what 10 years let's call it maybe even less than that really yeah. since we've seen this influx of youth and coaching
3: yeah i mean and i i think it's becoming a league-wide trend you know the whole the whole pro football focus thing you know i i feel like we're at a point now and i can just remember even listening to this station uh, 10 years ago when pro football focus was kind of like a like you might have been on one side of the fence or the other like you might have mocked a little bit of the people that were like too heavily into pro football. It was way more niche than it is now. Way more niche. Now that's a resource and a lifeline for people. Um, And I think that Bobby Slowick was on the front lines of that, of bringing in See, the thing that they needed was not to just to have nerds, but they needed to have football minds to be able to marry some of the concepts or to be able to contextualize some of the numbers that they were putting out there Mm -hmm. or to understand some of the plays and schemes that they were breaking down. Yeah. And so Bobby Sloick was on the ground floor of that, and I think now we've reached a place where uh, where the analytics is is front of mind and is mainstream and something that teams want to have and be a part of their, their coaching staff. In
2: for Payne and Pendergast, Sean Bajani and Brandon Scott, if you'd like to be a part of the show, hit us up, 713-572-4610. Uh, good job by Texter. Says, hey, man, you're behind. Texans already hired a uh, tight end coach. In fact, you are right. Jake Moreland, I believe formerly of the Denver Broncos, I think former Bronco tight end coach. So there you go. Yeah, we can
3: for, sc- forgive me for overlooking the, the tight ends coach. One more Whoops. off the list. But yeah,
2: they're pretty much uh, getting down to the nitty gritty now. Maybe a, a, another position uh, or two to fill on the coaching staff. And I'm trying to work on something for the uh, website to uh, do a little profile on each one of these guys uh, when it is officially done. Um, what is not done, and it's plenty of room for debate, is what the Texans are going to do with their first pick of the NFL draft, but also the second. Operating under the notion, B. Scott, that they have their quarterback with the number two overall pick, what are they going to do at number twelve? We got a couple of receivers we're going to take a look at that the Texans should
1: absolutely consider next. Stay there at Sports Radio six ten. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news.
0: so start looking in the right place with linkedin you can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today sports radio 610 presents pain and pendergast
2: sean bajani and brandon scott in for pain and pendergast this morning good morning everybody 713 572 If you'd like to get in to the trailer wheel and frame text line, a lot of you hitting us up this morning, ready to talk some ball. And so we'll kind of keep that going. Uh, a lot of football to discuss as we head into the draft conversation. Um, You know, it's like this every year, but it's even more exciting when you've got not just one, but two first-round picks to discuss. And so operating underneath the hypothetical that the Texans will have their quarterback cinched up uh, with the number 2 overall pick, Uh, we're taking a look at some uh, guys that they should consider for the number 12 overall selection in the draft. And uh, we kind of did this uh, by position groups. We had a receiver, Quentin Johnson, uh, out of TCU, uh, the first hour, we'll do this every twenty-three mark of every hour this morning on the show. So we'll get to a couple other receivers here, B Scott. Um, and just looking through this list, you know, of like top-tier candidates, yep. receivers that should go in the first round. I personally don't think it's that deep. Um, no, it's it's
3: not. We're talking about a list of maybe four guys. Yeah, Ma- okay, and that's a maybe. So you and I are on the same page there. Yeah.
2: Um, a couple of these guys uh, we've got here in this segment earmarked Jordan Addison out of USC. Yep, yep. And, and, and. Jackson
3: Smith uh, in Jigba. Yeah, and Jordan Addison should be noted. Out of Ohio State. Uh, Jordan Addison should be noted, not just out of USC, but also out of Pitt as well, because yeah. that's kind of where his claim to fame was, right? Yeah, won yeah the, fair. The Lindnikoff Award with Pittsburgh when he was still playing with Kenny Pickett, and then made the transfer over. So. That's interesting, too, uh, that he, in back-to-back years, will have played with what is going to be effectively starting NFL-caliber quarterbacks. And Kenny, think about whatever you want to think about Kenny Pickett, but he's the guy over there in Pittsburgh right now. Played with Kenny Pickett one year, and then the next year goes and plays with Caleb Williams in the Heisman Trophy year. And I think everybody expects Caleb Williams to go the go number one overall next year when he comes out of the draft and certainly be An NFL quarterback. Yeah, if he stays healthy,
2: it seems like a cinch. There's no doubt about that. You know, the prospect of the Texans or, like, really any of these teams, the Bears, if, if, I don't know, if they get Bryce Young, you know, the prospect of them having... You know him, and then drafting a receiver later, or something, somebody that played with him, or like even a Stroud. If the Texans get Stroud at number two, being able to draft Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, you know somebody that was catching touchdown passes from him on the regular this past season. Yeah, you know, like the idea that you could have a duo that played together in college and have them do it at the NFL. The prospect, I think is there for a number of teams to kind of do that over the course of the next couple of years. Obviously, if the Texans get lucky and have Bryce Young, they've had John Mechie in-house now for a year. Hopefully, he'd be able to play yeah. uh, this year um, after beating cancer. But i just thinking about that. That would be so cool.
3: Yeah, well, um, there, there is that possibility. And I think like there are – so one thing that I love a lot about where the Texans are with this draft specifically – is that there are options. Like, there is not a clear cut. The only thing that I feel like is clear cut, at least to me. That's what stresses me out, though, is there's so many options. (laughs) Yeah, but it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. And, you know, not to let them off the hook in an accountability standpoint, but for the organization, it's going to be really hard to do revisionist history on this draft because there are so many different directions that they could go in that you could defend in real time, in the moment. And so – and, and, oh, we'll find a way. Three. Years oh, down yeah. The and I'm knocking on wood. Easy. I'm <laughs> knocking on wood here that it doesn't that this doesn't even factor in that this doesn't happen at all that they hit on the picks and the revisionist history that we do is hey remember when they drafted this guy that went to the Pro Bowl and contributed to these championship teams and all of that like hopefully that's that's the vision and that's what happens but I mean in real time there are a bunch of different directions that they could go even here at wide receiver like I love the idea. That they could pair CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba as former uh, teammates at Ohio State. And then if you pair them up here with the Texans, like I like Jackson Smith and Jigba's potential as a wide receiver better than anybody that the Texans have at wide receiver right now. Like I think he's going to be that type of guy, a true number one. And then CJ Stroud, obviously, to me, is a better quarterback prospect than anything that they. Had on the roster. He bothers or have had. me
2: though. The kid from Ohio State. Just, the injury thing. Yeah, the injury thing. I mean, it, it, Stingley was the same way. You yeah. know. Uh, that, so
3: that's a great. That's a great point, though. Can you afford to draft another guy in the first round who has an injury history? That's the thing. After like, you just did it last year with you, a guy.
2: Just going off of what you just said, you know, in real time, you know, we're going to be able to like. Really pokes some holes in these things because there are so many different avenues you could go in when you have two first round picks. If you get that quarterback at number two, which you know we're doing this hypothetical under that assumption, I mean that makes a lot of people feel better. Okay, obviously, at least what I think, everybody around here would like Bryce Young. If you don't get Bryce Young, but you get C.J. Stroud, you still feel pretty good. But you take number twelve overall pick and it goes to a guy who only played two three games this past season. That's just kind of, I'm not going to say deflating totally, but, I mean, it's kind of like, eh, yeah. come on. You but, know, we, we you could have done so much more.
3: Yeah, the thing about it that works for me, and it worked for me with Derek Stingley as well, and maybe I fell into this trap, but I, I still feel like Derek Stingley is going to be a really good player. But to the point on Jackson Smith and Jigbook, the last, and again, this is the same thing with Stingley, the last time I saw the guy play, or the last time I saw him healthy, I viewed him as a prime prospect at that position. And so it, it, I talk about this all the time. A lot of this comes down to your appetite for risk. And it sounds like right now, Sean, you don't have a high appetite for it. And I don't blame you because, because of how important these picks are. Like I'm I'm not criticizing you mm. for it. I don't blame you. These, these picks are super important, but what is your appetite for risk? Even Nick Asario talked about this last year leading up to the draft, like, might we look at a player who won't play for us next year like he he said that now i don't think he meant it being what it turned out to be like with you know obviously with a uh, john Mechie yeah. coming down with leukemia i don't think that that, that not was not at all what he meant i think that was a different it was are, about his was, injury his uh because he got injured in the SEC championship
2: game yeah but just that line of thinking yeah. is the organization was in a different state at that point in time you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah certainly certainly you're but, not you're not looking to take a guy that's not going to play for you. No, no, no. I, I just use that as, an, as yeah. an
3: example. And what is your appetite for risk in a given year? It, might, it should change from year to year. So, like you said, situation is different. The organization is in a different spot. And, again, just last year, they drafted a guy with an injury history who got injured and only played half the year. Mm-hmm. Do you want to spend a first-round pick on somebody that has those same concerns even nope. if they are <laughs> as close to – a top-level prospect, as you'll find, about what was the term that he used when they drafted drafted Stingley was that there's the most consensus on this player. I think out of all of the wide receivers that we're talking about, Quentin Johnson out of TCU, Jordan Addison out of USC, formerly of Pitt, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State, I feel like as prospects, just strictly as players, forget the injury history for a second, Mm -hmm. I feel like Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the one that there's most consensus on as an overall wide receiver. I, I, do, I do believe that. But I mean, then there's the injury history that's well, a factor. Th-
2: that's the thing. I mean, yeah. and it's already a crapshoot. You know, if you want to just kind of dumb it down, you now it's a 50-50. I mean, it's less than that if you take into account his injury history because it is recent, because it hampered, um, you know, his production in the most pivotal season of his career collegiately um, to showcase what he could do, yeah. it, you know, for a really great team this past year with Ohio State and, uh, playing with C.J. Stroud—that's just what bothers me. And it, of course, it would work out that way. Hey, who's who translates best to the NFL with their game, their body type, you know, their size, athletic ability—the guy that you only got to see three freaking times this last year.
3: Oh, terrific! Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he, of course, it's that way. Yeah, he—he like, he, he is not—not uh, not to get hyperbolic, but he is built in the image of a Jamar Chase. Like and so and I've said this before yeah. that Cincinnati is a good example. Uh Jacksonville this past year, but Cincinnati certainly over the last couple of years, you draft your quarterback, you draft your receiver, go get your Joe Burrow, go get your Jamar Chase. And I'm not saying these guys are gonna be Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. But that's what you're hoping. Yeah, that's, that's what you're got. That's yeah. what you're. That's what you are trying to project, and that's the opportunity that that the opportunity that's in front of you in this draft. I just want that guy to be a Bryce Younger or C.J. Stroud. I don't need him to be anybody else. You know what
2: I'm saying? I, I want that dude to be them.
3: Yeah. No. I no. <laughs> you know I I get mean? That. I'm not like, saying be yeah. like that guy. I mean, be analogous to the turnaround. Yeah. Like, no. Be, I, I get what you're saying. Si- symbol what those guys symbolize.
2: I need the Texans to get guys that are going to set their own standard, like. I want them to say, hey, we want to be Bryce Young. We want to be, uh, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, yeah. like that guy. I think it's there. I need a couple of those guys I, on the Houston I, Texans. I, I do think it's there. At least out of the first round. I mean, if you don't do anything in this draft, if you don't do anything, like, let's just say it stays status quo. They go in with 11 picks, they come out with 11 picks. Like, I need your two first rounders to hit. That's it. I just I need the quarterback and receiver if that's who it's going to be, or the quarterback and maybe go B. John Robinson. You know, I wouldn't be mad at that. I wouldn't kick that
3: one out of bed. You know, yeah. I, I just need that. Well, and especially coming into a season, to be fair, when your two first round picks from last year do have some question marks. I believe in both of the guys, don't get me wrong, but there are some legitimate questions. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, from a durability I doubt, I doubt. standpoint with Stingley. And just an overall development standpoint with King and Green. So you're entering year two with last year's two first-round picks with some level of question marks and something to prove. You certainly want to feel Easy. good about the two guys that you pick in this first round. Easy.
2: How good do you feel about it? 713-572-4610. You guys can text in and let us know. He's Brandon Scott, Sean Bajani, in for Payne and Pendergast. Coming up next, we've got headlines and a lot to get to on a very important weekend that was. That's next.
0: Live from the Twin Peaks studios, Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All
2: right, in for Payne and Pendergast, I'm Sean Bajani, he's Brandon Scott. I can't wait to get to our 8 o'clock segment. Make sure you're here listening for that, because I I could just tell B. Scott, you and I are going to be on two different wavelengths here in about 18 minutes when we talk about um, the Kansas City Chiefs and their... Behavior at the parade, and you know what kind of uh, uh, reaction that sparked from not just Kansas City Chief fans, but really fans from all over. Um, so look out
3: for that. We'll we'll get into that at eight o'clock. But it's it's entertaining stuff either way, no matter what yeah. side of the of the ledger that you fall on. So it and I, be my mind, to to.
2: my mind this weekend as I'm pouring over all the video and reading the articles and some of the uh, letters that Chief fans were sending in. Uh, that made their way to the local newspaper. It was at the Kansas City Star, I believe. Yeah, My mind went to one place, and I will tell you what that was at 8 o'clock. So be listening for that. 713-572-4610 is how you can get in. You can call, you can text the trailer wheel and frame text line. Many of you have all morning, and we appreciate the feedback. No doubt about it. It is time to get to our headlines.
0: Payne and Pendergast with today's headlines brought to you by baywayjeep.com.
2: All right, I'm going to start with this one. Tiger Woods played an entire tournament of golf for the first time in almost a year this weekend. What? He still does that? Yeah, he still does that. And, you know, it was was probably the worst weekend to do it because there was so much other stuff going on, not just here locally, but, you know, nationally, too. It was uh, XFL opening weekend, which we'll get to here momentarily. Uh, spring training is starting uh you just you're fresh off the Super Bowl parade I mean there was just a lot of stuff the Daytona 500 which lasted like six hours yesterday
3: yeah (laughs) I I feel like if Tiger doesn't have a bum leg and is more of a viable golfer at this point though that he would he would have taken the headline over that or he would have been he would have been more of a story for golf reasons if his body uh hadn't you know, hadn't failed the way I think we're at the point, though, and
2: I think we've been there, B Scott, where he's just not that guy anymore. I'm not talking about the player, I'm talking about the guy that's going to command the headline because he's not that player anymore. I mean, the real story from this tournament was the performance from John Rom, who ended up winning the Genesis Open at the Riviera, a place that uh, Woods hasn't ever won in what I believe is 12 tries. Uh, Rom was the real story, though. Had uh, some incredible putts, a 45-footer in the round yesterday. But just the finishes, top 10 finishes in 10 consecutive starts. That's phenomenal. He, again, is the world number one, I believe, for the 44th week of his career, which is uh, almost top 10. And you're talking about guys like Nick Price and Tiger, who I don't think will ever be topped, who is there for hundreds of weeks in a row.
3: Yeah, but see, what's interesting to me about that is, like, you say that that is the biggest story from it, but somehow, like, I didn't know that until I looked at the show notes before we came in here and and saw that, so you were the one that informed me about what John Romney, I just wasn't following this over the weekend, but what I was, I would say, inundated with at the beginning of this tournament was Tiger Woods' supposedly tasteless joke Handing somebody a tampon pad in between holes. Yeah, was that Thursday?
1: Was yeah, it Thursday with yeah. Uh,
3: Justin Thomas's yeah. opening round. And that was that was like the thing that I heard about. First of all, I I thought that so was ridiculous. I thought that was weird. I was, I thought that was a weird joke. But then also, I was like, uh oh, here comes the you know the the way society works now is like if you do a thing that is questionable. Uh, I mean, if you're somebody as famous as Tiger Woods, they're going to lean in. The oh, offensive they, nature and, and people leaned in all the way. Oh I mean, my god,
2: yeah, it got. I'm it driving got around serious. last week and I heard guys doing segments on that on this station. and I'm like, wait, what is going on? Yeah, I'm like, please don't get to the point to where like Tiger has to apologize. And then, sure enough, I guess it was Friday or Saturday, whatever, yeah. he apologized. Um, however, did it in a very in a, in a way that I'm glad Tiger did it, you know, yeah. like it wasn't like, oh, I'm so you know, It was like, hey man. Just, I'm sorry, you know, that you saw that, but uh, it was just kind of boys being boys, you know? We were just having fun. It's a joke between two guys. I'm glad he qualified it as that because that's what it was. Yeah. That- I didn't want to hear the, the the weak-ass apology that, you know, the media forced you into or, you know, the handful of people out there that were
3: offended yeah. by it. I'm like, get out of here, man. Well, I thought that was hilarious. Well, well, here's the thing, like, speaking from a man's perspective, I, I wouldn't personally know exactly what to be offended by about it. Like it just I'm not the demo or the the target audience. Well, who of, was that, of the that was on
2: like JR Sport Brief the other day that was explaining why people should be offended and how he was just appalled like the Tiger would do
3: that and how that was just horrible for women to, <laughs> to see. And see I'm less appalled because I don't really know to be appalled. I'm so but I'm more just like unimpressed by the sophomoric humor of Tiger Woods. Like, to me— you're Impressed we, or unimpressed? Unimpressed. Really? Yeah, because if you're Tiger Woods, like, to me, I maybe I can appreciate some sophomoric humor, but at the same time, I'm expecting, like, the biggest golfer in the world, one of the biggest sports figures in the world, to sort of be above a joke like that in a moment like that, to not even subject himself to Let me ask such scrutiny question. and criticism like— what are you doing? Like, here's the thing. It's it's like sophomore humor. You ain't no sophomore at this point. Fair. You know what I mean? But, You're closer to 50 question, than you though. are to 15. Do you think Tiger Woods pulls that
2: same? I don't know. I think he pulled it off, even though he had to apologize. It was like, whatever. Tiger's almost that. He's almost. He is at the point, I think, within golf, in his career, He's like the old man that can say whatever he wants, do whatever he wants, and not really suffer any repercussion for it. You know, like oh no, you know what I mean. I feel like he's at that point in golf where it's like he's already been great. He's done that. I mean his his time has passed, and now he's just kind of hanging on, having fun, enjoying competition and stuff. Do you think he's able to do the same thing fifteen years ago when he's when he's at the top of his game and he's the number one in the biggest headline in all of sports every single weekend?
3: Yeah, I think 15 years ago, it goes over differently because we've got a different social and political climate. Like, I just don't think that we talk.
2: Like like, no social media and all that stuff. Yeah. Well,
3: even with social media, we just didn't talk like this. You know what I mean? Where everything that is everything matters. Well, yeah. And, you know, when when you try to be funny, like funny and appropriate are never going to align perfectly. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they will. Sometimes they won't. But What's funny and what's appropriate are not necessarily the same thing. And I feel like we had a better understanding for that in the past than we do now. Yeah. And we it feels like we hold what is clearly a joke or what is clearly done in jest. We hold it to the same standard of like what is decent and okay in a normal context. It's like, hey, I'm just joking. And it's like, hey, but that joke isn't okay. What jokes are okay anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? That That's kind of the feel. Like, I would hate to be a comedian today because I don't know how funny I would be. You know, because a lot of a lot of the things that I find funny, comedians, large part, get a pass though. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying though, a lot of the things that I find funny are just things that you cannot say out loud these <laughs> days, unless you're on a stage and you got them bright lights, baby, <laughs> and you are a professional. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah.
2: All right. Um, the XFL debuted uh, this weekend. I didn't watch, I have to be honest with you, uh, while the Roughnecks were playing at uh, TDECU. I was doing a, a baseball game just down the road, at U of H, uh, but the Roughnecks ended up winning their uh, opener over the Orlando Guardians 33-12, to but The Rock was in attendance for that. But he had a fire speech uh, that made its rounds on social media when he took Uh, the uh, festivities in San Antonio for the inaugural kickoff of the XFL. Take a listen.
4: When they told you that the dream was over. But here's the truth. Your dream is just beginning. Because what you're going to do, you're going to come out on this field and you're going to line up. And you're going to show the world what it's like to be truly hungry with that chip on your shoulder. I know because I got that same chip and we're here because the X of the XFL represents the intersection of dreams and opportunity. You bring the dreams. We brought the opportunity. Now let's get to the game that we all love and why we're here today. So I say this to all the players to all the coaches, and most of all, to all the fans. We say this with great gratitude and humility and an insane level of excitement. I declare these words as we kick off our season. XFL, let's ball out, baby!
2: I like the speech, but I really thought when <laughs> I saw that initially, I was ready. Can you smell, smell what the rock
3: <laughs> is cooking?
1: I was he
2: expecting that. that.
3: He needed to do that. I that, was expecting that. That would have put it, it, it over the top. At any moment during that speech, I was expecting a, <laughs> if you smell, or a jabroni, or a. It doesn't matter what happened in your past or what your background is in football or what your previous story is or something like that, when I, he I tilted his that.
2: head back and he put the mic up, yeah, I really thought that was gonna happen, and I was like, eh, let's ball out,
3: baby, I'm like all right, whatever it was still a it was still a badass speech though yeah I, I feel like this is a thing that the rock does though now it's like motivational speeches or introductions It's just a coincidence. I just happened to be watching um mo so it's a it's a, a Palestinian comedian named Mohammed Was Oh, Amer. is that the
2: documentary on Houston?
3: Yeah, so it's a, it's not a documentary, it's a it's basically a uh a comedy. It's just a, it's a short a oh, uh, short okay. Netflix show that he did, yeah, and then there's kind of a what feels like a coinciding comedy special that he did at White Oak Music Hall. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, and I, I want to say this was now maybe a year or two ago. But it's like
2: a showcase of Houston. Yes, isn't it? yeah, hundred yeah, percent. is Bun
3: yeah. B. appears as I don't know if I'm spoiling this for people, but Bun B appears in it. Uh, Paul Wall appears in it. Uh, Mo himself is from A Leaf, and so there's a lot of A Leaf, yeah. uh, you know, feel to it, and and a lot of that dreams. The the strip club is heavily featured in it. And so it's a, it is very uniquely Houston, but then I'm watching his. So after I finish the actual series on Netflix, mm-hmm. I watch his comedy special. And just to bring it back to The Rock, The Rock introduces him in like a video, recorded video on the big screen at the White Oak, White Oak Music Hall. He's got The Rock doing his intro, you know, which seems <laughs> super random. And like you got The Rock in there shouting out A Leaf, calling it the swipe. <laughs> and, and, and and it's like, man, what what does The Rock know about any of this? Probably nothing, but somebody said, hey, this is the guy to get the crowd hyped yeah, and, yeah, and, sure. and, to, and to introduce people. So He's that's that like guy. his thing.
2: He's that guy. I'm glad you brought that up because I've been wanting to actually watch that. So it's pretty it's good. good. It's good. It's what worth, is it, like two seasons? Worth your time.
3: I only watched the one. I'll have to go back and look if there's a second season. I mean, it may just be the it, one. It might be a second one, but I got through the one season throughout the day on – Friday or Saturday, one of those. Yeah, I know they hit the publicity pretty hard whenever
2: that came out, and I was, like, really interested in it, and it's just one of those things like, you kind of forget. I mean, there's a billion different things on yeah. Netflix that you check out. Like, I'm in all the, the crime documentaries still. Like yeah. There's always new ones. But. Yeah, yeah. but it, it
3: takes a very unique look at Houston. A lot of the things that that's out there that you know about Houston and his culture, but, but very specifically to his story, um, you know, coming over from – Palestine back in the yeah. early '90s, and being born in Kuwait and all of the conflict there, and, and his family coming over and then adjusting to the life here in Houston. I mm-hmm. mean, Houston, the the ultimate melting pot and and, is. and 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 you know, culmination of cultures is very much highlighted in this specific uh in that specific uh piece. So it is worth checking out on Netflix. Mo, good stuff. He's B Scott Sean
2: Bajani for Pain and Pendergast. Uh, finally, up on headlines, Cougs win again. They held off. The Memphis Tigers yesterday, Juwan Roberts, uh, their junior forward, had a career high 20 points, 12 boards, while Marcus Sasser uh, scored 20 as well as the number two and hopefully future number one at Houston Cougars, uh, top to Memphis 72 64. Uh, quote of the day Kelvin Sampson, by the way, uh, for what it's worth, I think probably the best and my favorite quote in the entire city. Probably a close second is Dusty Baker, just because, you know, Dusty's hilarious. But in terms of, like, substance, I think you you listen very closely when Kelvin Sampson talks. I mean, he's not going to beat around the bush. He's going to tell you like it is. He's going to give you some substance. There's a story and whatever he says all the time. But the quote of the day yesterday was from Memphis head coach Penny Hardaway, who after the game when asked about, Uh, him losing to the Cougars in the fashion that they did. Cougs pretty much led wire to wire yesterday. said, quote, I'm encouraged because that team is going to be number one in the nation tomorrow. End quote from Hardaway after the game. Cougs have been number one in the nation twice this regular season. Hopefully they can get that number one spot uh, again this week with only four games remaining and really only one more test um, during the regular season, before the uh, conference tournament starts here in just a few weeks, it is against Memphis again. I believe it's the last game of the season. I have to double check on that. It's it's not the last; it's the second to last. It, and game. it seems
3: so often that it is. It feels like U of H always ends its season. Yeah, it is the last. Either March against 5th. so either against Memphis or Cincinnati. Yeah, it seems like that is just baked into. That conference's schedule, the way that they see it, they know who the cream of the crop is when it comes to basketball, mm-hmm. and it's usually some co- a combination of those three teams, usually Houston being the top among them. So, yeah, so yeah that that definitely makes sense. And, and I, I'd ask you this, though. You feel like with U of H, even if they, for however long that they're number one in the nation, and we know that's that can be touch and go, this feels like a team that's for sure a number one seed. In yeah, the, in the tournament, I 100 for as long as they've been in the top five, top ten throughout the year, and have, and have had different spells as the number one team in the nation, I would be surprised. And I haven't checked Joe Lenardi's bracketology lately, but I'd be surprised if that's not a uh,
2: Lenardi's a troll. <laughs> Lenardi's
3: a troll. Did you get that
2: from Walton this weekend? Yeah, <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, I, I have heard that. And of
3: course, and of course, when you are tasked with doing bracketologies or mock drafts or anything like that. They are designed for people to think that you are trolling them because it's never going to satisfy everybody.
2: (laughs) We maybe need to pull that Walton clip later, Ben, if we have it. He was so good. uh, Lenardi's a troll. No, he's not. No, he, yes, he is. <laughs> the back and forth this weekend was great. Love it. Um, but, you know, Kelvin Sampson, this, you know, all, all season long, he's really talked about how there's no one great team in college basketball. And he's right not, about Not that. even them. And he's yeah. so right. I mean, if you're talking about Alabama, Purdue, Kansas, UCLA, I mean, these are your top five teams right now as it stands with Houston in the mix. They're all really good, and Houston's really good, but they're not great. Yeah. And, you know, again, Every year for about the last three, four seasons, beast sky do you remember? I mean, the Cougs, they're kind of middling. They're playing some games pretty close. You know, these conference uh, foes of theirs, they should, you know, really be taking care of business against them. They played some really close games again this season, but they seem to kind of round into tournament form, you know, the last couple of weeks of the regular season. I feel like that's starting to happen again now. And you're starting – Kelvin Sampson, of course, you know, Humble, bashful, whatever you want to call it. You know, he's like, man, we didn't even play one of our best games by far yesterday. And they led wire to wire pretty much. Yeah. And took care of a Memphis team um, that I think people really anticipated it being a lot closer of a game.
3: I'm I'm sorry. I just was distracted by the 281 on the text line telling me FYI, FYI, it's UH, not U of H. I'm sorry. I would never in my life call the thing UH. It's been U of H my entire life. Now I know Never. you went to you Man. went to
2: school there. Don't tell me how to say it. So, so I'm saying
3: U of H, U of H, whatever. No, but <laughs> it, it, no, 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 no. But I I will die on this hill. Tell me how to say it. It is spelled U H. It is said, and I I will die again. Die on this hill. It is spelled U H. It is pronounced U of H. Yes, and that's the way it's been. Since the beginning of time, my mama went there, my uncle went there, all my cousins went there. I've lived here my entire life. I ain't never called it no UH and will never do so. Yeah, it is, it is U of H you. to me. I'm not going to kill you if you do call it U of H. Yeah, no, do you what know, you want, whatever.
2: but you ain't UH, going to tell me, though. Come on. I've been here my whole life. Come on, texture police. Get out of here, man. I don't know if i fight here with that. <laughs> U of H. All right. This is... Uh,
1: hd 2 K-A-L-T-H-D-2. You're listening to an Odyssey station. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.